Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Happy Sunday. It is so good to see you all in the room this morning. Uh, we wanna welcome those of you joining us online as well as those listening in on Way FM. We are in week number three of a sermon series called High Wire. And this entire series zeroes in on the family of Isaac in the Old Testament book of Genesis. And in week number one, we learned that we can trust God in the waiting, just like Abraham and Sarah were waiting and waiting and waiting on the birth of Isaac. In week number two, we learned that we can trust God in the disappointments, that that when things don't go the way we'd hoped, we can still trust God, just like Isaac kept having to resettle and then resettle and then resettle his people until they finally found clean water and safety. This is week number three, and we're gonna learn that we can trust God with our sins and our struggles. Today, we're gonna meet Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau. In particular, we're gonna see that Jacob had some serious junk in his life. He had these sins and these personal struggles that TBH jacked up his family. He was at odds with his father Isaac, he was at odds with his brother Esau, and he had kids with four different women. Jacob was a mess. He had all these sins and all these struggles, but but here's what we're gonna see. We're gonna see God didn't ignore Jacob, abandon Jacob, or turn away from Jacob. Instead, God continued to work in Jacob and on Jacob and through Jacob, and in many ways, God continued to bless Jacob. And Jacob's story shows us that we can trust God in our struggle against ourselves, against the worst parts of our own human nature, in our battle against our base desires. And so here's our big idea for today, and here's the challenge. Dare to trust God with your sins and struggles. Dare to trust God with your sins and struggles. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. We can trust God in the waiting, we can trust God with our disappointments, and we can even trust God with our sins and struggles. And when we trust God with all of our hearts and yield to him, he will make our crooked paths straight. And so I wonder this morning, what is the first thing that comes to mind for you when we talk about sins and struggles? And when I say struggles, I'm not really talking about the stuff outside of ourselves that that negatively affects us. I'm not talking about the struggles we have because of what's going on in the world around us, like the economy or politics or, or global issues. I'm talking about the struggles we have because of what's going on inside of us. Sins personal stress points, anxieties, the, the things we battle inside of ourselves. What is the first thing that comes to mind for you? Well, if I'm being honest, a number of things come to mind for me, and I'm certainly not gonna share them all today. 
but I'll share one. In fact, I will share a picture that speaks a thousand words. Now this, this is me about 15 years ago. Now that was not my heaviest weight, but it was close. And it's actually kind of interesting as I was scrolling through hundreds and hundreds of pictures to find one like this, I could see all the extra weight pack on and then come off and then pack on and then come off and then on and then off again. And for essentially the last 30 years, I have been in a constant battle with my body, with my appetite to be disciplined in, in what I eat and what I drink and how I care for the flesh and the bones and the heart and the mind that God has given me. And sometimes I gotta tell you, I just feel like I got the short end of the deal with this body. But it's the only one I have. And I wish it was easy to care for, but it's not. And so now I stay extraordinarily active, which honestly, I got all this energy, that's not so hard for me. But I also try to eat healthy, which is hard for me. But what I've noticed is if I get tired, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, or even spiritual exhaustion, when I get tired, the battle gets harder. And I might find myself eating entirely too much, and I have all this energy and all this discipline, but then, and then in those moments, it's like it all just disappears, it evaporates, and I have no will to fight the battle, and then I fall, and then I fail, and then I find myself so frustrated. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, some of you may not. But maybe for you, it's not your appetite. Maybe it's, it's an addiction. Maybe it's a compulsion. Maybe it's a reaction, how you react to frustration. Maybe you lose your temper and you, you blow up and you damage your relationships. Maybe you failed in multiple relationships. Do you ever find yourself wondering, why can't I get this right? Why can't I move beyond this battle? Why do I keep fighting this particular sin? Why can't I overcome this struggle? And if that's you, then here's what I want you to hear today. You can trust God with your sins and your struggles. He loves you, he cares for you, he wants what's best for you. He is not here to condemn you, but to heal and restore you. All right, let's zero in on Isaac's son, Jacob, and his brother, Esau. You have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25, verses 19 through 26 says this. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, Rebekah, because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. And the babies jostled, each within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? And so she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two people will be separated from within you. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. And the first to come out was red, and his whole body was, was like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, and they named him Jacob. Well, like many siblings, right from the start, these, these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, they were always in a competition, and it would be an understatement to say they didn't get along, because, oh boy, did they not get along. 
When Esau was born, Jacob was holding on to his heel, and this would be seen as a bad omen for the future. In fact, there would be no love lost between them. They were just so different. Esau, the oldest, was born as hairy as a wool sweater, and he, he grew up loving the outdoors and especially hunting. And Jacob, on the other hand, he loved being indoors. He loved cooking. And in ancient Near Eastern culture, this was not a good look for Jacob. Further, as the firstborn son, Esau was set to receive this special birthright, which meant he would get a double inheritance of the family's estate. Jacob would get a single inheritance, Esau would get a double inheritance, as well as Esau would get this blessing, this honor of being the family leader, carrying their family into the future. Genesis 25, verses 27 through 33 says, the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, their father, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah, their mother, loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country. He was famished, and he said to Jacob, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Essentially, I'm dying. And, and Jacob saw an opportunity. Jacob said, well, first sell me your birthright. And you gotta think, Esau's like, are you kidding me? I'm dying. You're my brother. You're trying to gain an advantage here? And Jacob's like, sorry. Esau says, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me if I'm dead? And so Jacob says, well, swear to me first. And so he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright, that double inheritance to Jacob. Now, that is a steep price for a bowl of stew. Jacob would receive the double inheritance, not Esau. Nevertheless, Esau gave in. And this isn't the only time Jacob would swindle Esau out of something extremely important. In fact, in Genesis chapter 27, Rebekah helped Jacob steal the blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. You see, Isaac was aging. He was actually near death. He had poor vision. And Isaac, the father, asked Esau to hunt wild game and prepare his favorite meal for him before the blessing was given. And while Esau was out hunting, Rebekah instructed Jacob to bring two of the best goats from their flock. And Rebekah prepared the meat just like Isaac loved, just like Isaac asked Esau to prepare. And then Rebekah dressed Jacob in Esau's clothing and she covered Jacob's arms with goat hair, sending Jacob in to see his blind, dying father with his favorite stew in hand, convincing their father that he, Jacob, was in fact Esau. And the trick worked, and Isaac gave Jacob Esau's blessing. And so after swindling Esau out of his birthright, Jacob then robbed Esau of his blessing. So what do you think comes next? Did they become best friends? Nope. Genesis chapter 27, verses 41 through 45 says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Eventually, my father's gonna die, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. And Rebecca, when Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob, and she said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. And when your brother is no longer angry with you, when he forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Tragic, right? 
tragic life, and yet Jacob's life seems like a tragedy of his own making. Would you agree? And in so many ways, it was a tragedy of his own making, but also in so many ways, it is exactly, if you know the whole story or read the whole story, it's exactly what he was born into. And so let's talk for a moment about Jacob's sins and Jacob's struggles, and let's, let's start with his struggles. I think it's pretty clear that Jacob had deep wounds from his childhood. Now, you do not develop that much resentment against your siblings in a vacuum. And if you read between the lines, if we read between the lines, we see things were certainly not healthy in their home growing up. For one, Isaac wasn't the kind of husband to Rebekah we like to see. In Genesis chapter 26, to protect himself, Isaac put his wife in danger with other men by claiming that she was his sister, not his wife. Now, this was actually something that his father Abraham had done with his mother Sarah in Genesis 12, and Abraham actually let the Pharaoh sleep with Sarah to protect himself. And now it appears Isaac is doing the same thing with his wife, Rebekah. And so it would, it would seem that Rebecca resented Isaac for this. And in fact, there was this deep division developing in their family. As we've already seen in the verses we read, Isaac had a favorite son in Esau, and Rebecca had a favorite son in Jacob. And clearly, the, the parents' resentment against each other amplified Jacob and Esau's sibling rivalry. And so you've got childhood trauma, and you've got family drama, and then you just got this reality of generational sin. And the phrase the Bible uses is, the sins of the father are visited upon the sons. And this is something we see throughout the Genesis narrative of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. Now, Abraham, for lack of a better term, pimps out Sarah for his own safety. And then his son Isaac seems willing to do the same with his wife. And Abraham sleeps with his wife's servant and has a child with her named Ishmael. And so Isaac has a half-brother named Ishmael, and that was a terrible family situation, big-time sibling rivalry, still affecting the world today, by the way. Two generations later, Jacob, like his grandfather before him, sleeps with his wife's Servants, and yes, I said wives. Jacob takes two wives at once, and yes, Jacob sleeps with both of their servants. He has children with all four women, including the son we know as Joseph. The sins of the father are visited upon the sons. Sibling rivalry between Isaac and Ishmael, sibling rivalry between Jacob and Esau, and later, sibling rivalry between Joseph and his many brothers. And the whole thing is just a mess. And Jacob's mess seems to be the biggest mess of them all. And Jacob's struggles, and this is what happens with your struggles, if you don't bring them out and you don't work through them, acknowledge them, go through a healing process with them, Jacob's struggles turn into sins. So let's talk about some of Jacob's sins for a minute. Let's talk about envy. Jacob envied Esau so much. Esau was the big brother, only by a few moments, and Jacob clearly wanted to be Esau. 
There, there is so much envy there. Esau was stronger, Esau was tougher. Traditionally speaking, Esau was far more of a masculine figure in their culture, and Esau, and I think this is probably key, was the father's favorite. And Jacob's struggle with his sibling rivalry manifested as the sin of envy. Now let's talk about deceit. Jacob envied his brother so much that he decided he was entitled to take the things that he wanted to take from his brother. Even if by deceitful means, Jacob lied to his father and stole his brother's blessing. Let's talk about sexual sin. Jacob took two wives. And if that wasn't enough, he also had children with their servants. And, and while that may very well have been normal sexual behavior in their historical context, I think we can all agree it's not what God wanted. And so Jacob's life was a mess. It's a mess of relationships. It's a mess of struggles. Some were taught, some were caught, many of his own making. It's a mess of sins, clearly. And we all agree this is not what God wanted for Jacob. So what is God's response? How does God respond to Jacob's sins and struggles? Two things that I noticed that are just very obvious right off the bat. One is, and this is incredible, and this is what the rest of the book of Genesis is all about. But God's response, one of them is, God restores Jacob's broken relationships. God brings restoration. And Pastor Jimmy's gonna talk about that next week, and so I wanna encourage you to come back next week for that message. But I wanna focus on another of God's responses to Jacob's sins and struggles, and that is God does not abandon Jacob, but remains in a relationship with him. God remains in what scholars call a covenant relationship with Jacob. Now, I want you to remember the past few weeks. Remember, God had promised that he would bless the world through Abraham's descendants. Jacob is a descendant of Abraham. God promised to save the world through those descendants, which we know, looking back, means Jesus. And the reality is there is nothing Jacob could do. There was no sin, no struggle, no crookedness, no corruption that would remove Jacob from God's promise. And that should remind us that we have no sin and no struggle beyond God's redeeming power. Nothing we can say or do or think or feel can stop God from loving us and using us and wanting a relationship with us. Now, I know it can be hard to find trustworthy people. But we can find untrustworthy people and we can find kinda trustworthy people. But to find truly safe people you can authentically share your sins and struggles with, that's hard. And then even when you do find such people, it takes courage to open yourself up to them. You have to be daring. And I can't promise you that people will be safe. But what I know, God is. You can dare to trust God with your sins and struggles. Try to remember that verse Pastor, shared, Pastor Gary shared with us a few weeks ago, Isaiah 42, verse three, about how God deals with broken people. Here's what it says. It's a beautiful passage. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. 
God doesn't see your struggles and wanna snuff you out. He doesn't see your bruises and wanna break you. He wants to restore you. He wants to heal you. He wants to redeem you and be in a relationship with you. Dare to trust God with your sins and struggles. Before we close, I wanna share five things that we can do when we are struggling. And whether it's our, our sin we're struggling with or, or our own brokenness or, or maybe even like we talked about last week, the frustrations of the world around us, what do we do with our sins and struggles? Here's the first thing. Stand on God's word. When you're struggling, when you're fighting temptation, when you're fighting sin, when you're fighting all those things within, stand on God's word. The Gospel of Matthew tells the story of Jesus' temptation. It's the very beginning of Jesus' ministry when the devil tempted Jesus with some of the sins that every one of us struggle with, essentially with lust, pride, and covetousness. And each time the devil tempted Jesus, if you know the story, how did Jesus respond? He responded with scripture. Jesus didn't just grin and bear it. He didn't just fake it till he made it. He didn't willpower through it. He quoted scripture. The word of God gave him the strength to say no to temptation. When I graduated high school 27 years ago, someone bought me a little book for graduation. It was called God's Promises for Your Every Need. And this little book cataloged all kinds of Bible verses that spoke to all kinds of struggles I might face as I was going out into the world. I mean, it had a section on temptation, it had a section on depression, it had a, a section on pride and humility and confidence, it had dozens of sections on all kinds of things I might face. And in each section, it shared a dozen or so relevant Bible verses. And that little book, which I kept for years and years, really helped me through some hard times. It empowered me to stand on the truths and the promises of God's word no matter what I was facing. And the thing is, if you are struggling with something, the biggest question you should be, should, the biggest question you should be asking isn't, well, what do I think about this? Or what do my friends think about this? Or what does our culture think about this? The key question is, what does God think about this? What does God's word say about this? Stand on God's word. That's number one. Number two, pray for a way out. And this especially applies to our sins and certainly apply to many of our struggles as well. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, and this is a promise. Here's what it says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind and God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Several years ago, Janice and I, we decided we were gonna do this new diet together. And, and it was one of those things where we were doing pretty well and we were starting to see progress, but it was, it was getting really hard to maintain the self-discipline. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And it helped that we were doing it together because people are better together, right? But then there was just one night, it was one of those nights that I had just lost all willpower and, and I was like, you know, I just wanna, I want a hamburger and some tater tots. And Janice was like, you know, a, a cherry vanilla Mountain Dew and cheese fries sounds good. And then we were like, no, we can't. 
But then we were like, but we've been doing so good. Yes, we can. And, and then we were like, but we made so much progress. Why throw it away now? And they were like, God, why is this so hard? And, and then we decided, you know what? Yep, we're going to Sonic Drive-In. A true story. And so we jumped in our minivan and we drove to Sonic and, and we were completely ready to just blow our diet. We had lost all discipline. And just as I rolled down the window in the car and started to press that little red button, all the power in that part of the city went down immediately. <laughs> I am not kidding. Like that whole block, all those fast food restaurants, power went down right then. Like that red button was a fuse button. And this little car hop comes out and she says, sorry, we can't serve you tonight. We don't have any power. And we were like, really God? And we were struggling and, and maybe it seems trite to you, but for us, the struggle was real. And we were struggling and God just shut that sucker down to give us a way out. And then we were like, Thank you, God. And I could give you more examples, but I think we're gonna leave it at that. If you're struggling, pray for a way out. And I promise you, God will make a way out. Number three, run from temptation. And if you know a certain thing tempts you, then stay away from the thing. Or maybe it's not a sin, maybe it's a struggle. If you know a certain thing triggers you, run away. Don't keep putting yourself in a place where you know you will fail. In Proverbs chapter five, verse eight, the wise teacher says to the student struggling with sexual sin, he's about to commit adultery, and the teacher doesn't just say, stay away from the woman. He actually tells the student, don't even go down her street. Stay as far away as possible. Run from temptation. Number four, confess to safe people. And we talked a little bit about this one last week, but, but there's something healing about having safe people we can talk to about our sins and our struggles. And I believe with all my heart, that's what John has in mind in 1 John 1, 9, when he says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and he's just, and he will forgive us of our sins and he will purify, he'll purify, he'll cleanse, he'll redeem, he will heal us from all of our unrighteousness. Confession leads to healing. Confess your sins to God and confess them to safe people as well. Now, not to everyone. Most people do not need to know the intimate details of your life, but you need some people, you need safe people who can listen, advise, and encourage you. Sins or struggles, stuff coming from the inside or the outside, if you try to carry them alone, they will overwhelm you and they will overtake you. Have a group of people with whom you can share your sins and your struggles. And then number five, and we'll close with this one, trust in God's kindness. Believe with all of your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength that God is good and that God wants what is good for you. Now, I didn't say he wants what's easy for you. Easy and good are not often the same. God wants what's good for you. He doesn't wanna break you. He wants to heal you. He is so kind. Romans chapter two, verse four tells us that God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. It's not God's wrath or God's discipline or God's judgment or God's condemnation that leads us to repentance. The scriptures say it's God's 
kindness. And when you truly come to know and believe in God's kindness, then you believe he wants the best for you. And when you know that, you will dare to bring him your sins and struggles because you know he won't snuff you out, but he will heal you. Now, if anyone should have been snuffed out, it would be Jacob. And yet somehow as Jacob is fleeing the wrath of his brother, swindler as he was, crooked as a snake, God in his kindness renewed their covenant. In Genesis 28, and and Jacob is exhausted. He is exhausted from living in the mess he made. And, and, And the Bible says that he laid his head on a rock. He was so tired. Now, new meaning to rock bottom. He lays down on a rock and he goes to sleep and he has this vision where there's a ladder, where there's a stairway to heaven. And as we close, I just want you to hear what God says in that vision to this broken mess of a man who has hit rock bottom. Genesis 28, 13 through 15. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the east and the west and the north and the south. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. To this broken mess of a man, he says, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I've done for you what I promised. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your extraordinary kindness. May we dare to trust you with our sins and struggles. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.